This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But I, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing? In order, you know, that that would make it better. Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is, is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that, that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 852, brought to you by iFanboy listeners, hearers, just like you. Man, I was a fair Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 852. I am Josh Flanagan. I am here with my co-host and uh, life partner, Connor Kilpatrick. It was a late night last night. Oh, man. It's sexy time, Connor? I don't know. I don't know what it is. It would be sexy time if I wasn't totally exhausted and hungover. <laughs> I have no energy for any of this. Uh, joining us today in the third chair is uh, Dr. Ryan Haupt. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to be here celebrating one week of being bear-free. No bears for an entire week. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. Dr. Ryan Haupt has a uh, young child at home. He was up most of the night. Connor had himself a little celebration last night. Connor is uh, nearly 45 years old, so everyone's doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't uh, have a job. We are iFanboy, and every week one of us picks the book they like the best from their stack of comics, and we call that the pick of the week. We talk about that book. We talk about other books from the week. We talk about the patron pick. We answer some listener mail if we have time. And from what I understand, we really want to have time for it this week, so yeah. we're going to go for that. You might be thinking, why don't they talk endlessly about this book or something that's only vaguely related to that book? And that's what we're going to shoot for. Uh, your spoiler warning is that there are spoilers. You know how that works. 
Brooks, you're you're an intelligent individual listening to this, so uh, you're on your own there. Ryan, you had the pick. I did, and I decided that the pick of the week was Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, number three of eight. I, I added that to the script just because I feel like we always wonder how long the miniseries is going to go. Um, and I have been, like, like all of y'all, I've been enjoying the Deceased books. Uh, they're better than they've had any right to be. And I think we all uh, were excited about this miniseries returning, but um, I think the first two issues were really sort of setting up the stakes and putting the heroes in the worst situation possible. And I felt like this issue was where the tide turned slightly towards, okay, now I see how our heroes might have a chance. Um, And I thought that was uh, good. It was, I think it was needed. I think it was, otherwise this book would just be too bleak, even though this was a very bleak book. And I think in a lot of ways, there were a couple of Halloween books or Halloween adjacent books that came out this week, but I actually think this one captured the spirit of spooky season better than most. I mean, it is at at one, you know, some sense a zombie book. I should also say that this was a story by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison and colors by Rain Barreto, letters by Seda Timofonte. And um, yeah, it starts off with a little, starts off with like a flashback of what happened to Adam Strange. And we've been living in the midst of the Adam strange essence. That was a good sequence. It was a great sequence. I loved, instead of having a big flashy Zeta Beam moment in this version of Adam Strange, he just kind of fades out of Ran and back to Earth and, and him doing that hugging his daughter. As Josh mentioned, a parent of a young child, if there was something really bad happening, I would feel not great if I was <laughs> against my will teleported away from my family. And then his wow, confrontation with Wonder Woman. I know, right? Uh, and then I thought his confrontation with Wonder Woman after that was really good and um, everything that followed. I mean, this even had a Lobo sequence that didn't suck. Um, well, I mean, we're really into the depths of how does this, how is this now spreading throughout the universe? So we yes. see it. We see this anti-life zombie equation hitting uh, Ron. We see it hitting Fanagar. We see it going, you know, hey, it's all the planets from Cosmic Odyssey. Um, and we see it sort of going around. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't hate the Lobo sequence, although I genuinely tend to hate Lobo, but it wasn't terrible. Um, well, I mean, it, it, is, it was interesting because I was thinking about when it happened. Obviously, he refers to himself as the main man, which makes my face twitch. But yeah. <laughs> if, like, if he's the guy who can't be affected and can sort of beat the thing, like that's... That's really interesting because you've taken this character who's annoying and who, but, but like logically, like it totally makes sense. And so it's going to annoy everybody, you know, at least, I mean, in the universe, I mean, um, I just love the idea that not unlike something we've experienced in our world, just when you think you've got it sorted out, you zoom back and you're like, oh yeah, by the way, there's the rest of the universe. Oh shit. Mm -hmm. You know? And as soon as the Zeta beam came into it, I thought, oh my God, that's terrible. I actually think the scene that the scene that did it for me and when I was I read this book pretty early in my stack and the scene that did it for me where I was like, okay, that's the scene that every other book has to beat this week is when Ares shows up and is literally complaining about like, oh, God, like this is literally the problem of the new gods. I am an old God and Mm -hmm. I'm annoyed by the young young gods coming in and messing up the (laughs) universe. And like one of his solutions is like, okay, I'm going to take whatever's left of the Justice League into the Hall of the Gods and they can we can arm up and he gives uh, he gives Ollie Apollo's bow and he picks it up and says, eh, it feels a little off. And he's like, you're saying the golden bow of Apollo feels a little off. Like it was made perfect for the God Apollo. And like, and Ollie's like, yeah, still feels a little off. And goes, Ariel's fine. You can modify it. And I was like, that's, that was awesome. That was a great moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah at some point he's like, 
He's like dark side. He's a fucking child. Like I know, know it's, that's great. I hadn't. I, that's a perspective that we don't often get to see in DC, where you know dark side is, and, and dark side is considered this un you know uh, unflappable pillar of a part of the universe, and to have like an older god come in and just kind of grimace and be annoyed with him, I thought worked. And so is this is this Erebos character? Is that Who's behind all this? I don't. That was the only thing. I that seemed to be the reveal, but I don't. Erebos. I, I don't so know. Anyway, it, it was interesting. It was good reading this after we talked about Co- Cosmic Odyssey, which is the book explode you can listen to back in the feed from this. Is that you like you get the idea that the the um, anti life equation is something that Dark Side toyed with, which was what was happening in that book, you know, uh, thirty four years ago. Um, and, and, and that like, he's not really the thing. So in that the anti-life is a cosmic, is it being, is that correct? You know, like there's another big thing back there. And I don't know if Erebos was something that was born out of that or something we've never heard of. Although Tom Taylor in these books doesn't tend to make things up. He takes them from existing things. Um, I think what we we did talk on that show is that the anti-life equation is very, uh, malleable, you know, it can be sort of whatever you need it to be. And so... Here, I mean, we'll, we don't really know much about this character, but it does give them something that they can actually defeat as opposed to like a germ, which, you know, you can't punch. So uh, it gives it more of a possible endgame. I, I like the idea of a zombie type, uh, I don't know, pathogens, maybe not the right word, but like a zombie type infection that spreads through data like an equation. There was a pretty good movie that came out a couple of years back called The Signal. It was sort of that same thing where like everybody's TV or phone or uh, radio started broadcasting like this static image that if you saw it drove you insane. And I was like, and you know, this is sort of like that. And I, I think I, I like that like, kind like of Like Real Housewives. <laughs> well, only, I mean, Come some, on. Of them, some of them. I'm not giving you that. You didn't <laughs> earn that. <laughs> I did. That's that's how that makes me feel. Like I start clawing at my own hair. Why is anyone watching this? Here's what I'm I'm also curious about. Have these have any of these Justice League folks have they tried Ivermectin? What oh. that one? Can I have that one? Eh, I think I think Justice League's more of a hydroxychloroquine crowd. <laughs> I, I just I couldn't say I that. mean I I agree with you, Ryan, that the first two issues it was like, okay, um, Let's get going here. This is the final act of a story that's been really great and really suspenseful and exciting. And the first two felt kind of like they were just sort of, I don't want to say treading water, but there was sort of, there wasn't a lot going on when you only had eight more issues to go. But now I think we're finally moving. I think they lulled us into that false sense of security because it really came back. Hey, hey, we're fixing things, you know, and and, which doesn't make any sense for a story. There's no narrative drama there or anything. But also, I want that to happen. So I don't know that I I was like, okay, I'll just watch them clean things up. I'm happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like to fix a thing, obviously, they're going to just rip a rug out from under you. Um, And it's good. But, you know, Trevor Harrison continues to be also as important on this book as Tom Taylor. I think his his work is terrific. He he does all the characters in the DC universe in this book. And they're all terrific. And it's really interesting because I don't think that his style necessarily lends itself to, you know, if it was like the regular Justice League book, it would feel too dark or too rough or something like that. And, and, And I don't mean to say that in a sense like I feel like he's a niche artist. Because uh, I think that the fundamentals are super strong. His his, I, I love the way his figures look. You know, I love the way Adam Strange looks in this. But it, it's just left of center enough that it really, 
it gives this story both things where it feels like something other than the quote unquote reality that we're used to. But at the same time, all those fundamentals are, are there, you know, it, it is, it, there's all of the elements of a mainstream superhero comic book artist are at play, but it's just got enough to it that lets you know that there's something extra. There's something different. It, you know, it's not necessarily darker, but in this context it is. Yeah. It's a little rough around the edges. Everyone is a little bit, I like how t- like sort of tall and lean everybody is. You know, no one's like incredibly bulky. You know, yeah. Superman isn't Superman isn't like uh, coming out of his suit like that action comics artist. Like it's you tend everyone's to, sort, you, sort of just you tend to like that more. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. mean, I, I I saw a tweet this week that was something along the lines of like Superman shouldn't be super muscly because if he was if he was evolved as Kryptonian to be that strong, nothing on Earth would give his muscles enough of a workout that he would be bulky. Yeah. Yeah. I think I it's, just, I, 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 I think it's a visual language issue. Now, there are times where it works. I mean, I think it depends on the story and the artist or whatever. I mean, I, I'm not going to complain about Ed McGuinness as Superman. Or yeah, when I think sure. of uh, one of my favorite Supermans ever is Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns Superman. I, I love how big he is in that because in there he's a it's a it's a symbol of a different thing. You know what I mean? Like he he represents different things given the story, and I think that that interpretation same with Batman, same exact same with Batman. Um, but yeah, it works here. There was a lot of books this week. It was, you know, it feels like DC puts out all of their good books in the same week. And, and it's so the you, week that Ryan's here. Yeah, so you get all of their high-end books. So we're not even going to get to all of them just because there were so many of them. But we did need to talk about the final issue of Batman the Night. This is number yeah, this was, a, this was a contender for Pick of the Week. Um, I think my takeaway from the conclusion of this story, which uh, has been written by Chip Zdarsky and wonderfully drawn by Carmine Di Domenico. Uh, nope. Di John Domenico. Di John Domenico. Thank you. Um, I would be perfectly or, content. as it says here in the script. Yeah. That Gian was, Bomenico. That's the typo. That's the typo. <laughs> I, because of the... And then, of course, colors by Alvin, uh, by Ivan Palsentia. Yes. Which is nice. That's, I said uh, he was up all night. And letters by Pat Brousseau. Who sent you? My pal sent you. Um, I would be perfectly content if this was the canonical origin story of Bruce Wayne moving forward. I I mean, there've been been several of these, like what did you do after? And this is just another one. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good one. There's nothing wrong with it. It, it I'd be fine with it. I like it existing as legend though. Like this is one of the legends. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But you're, no, you're absolutely right. It makes total sense. It's funny because I, you know, if I, if you were to tell me right now, Hey, name me some Chip Zdarsky stories that are great. I'd go, Oh man, you got Stillwater and you got public domain and over he's got daredevil. And I don't know that I would list this, but in any other sort of current comic book writer, this would be the best thing they did. Well, you, he's on such a role. You picked this twice for pick of the week, Josh. No, I know that. That's what I'm saying. Like he's firing on all, also that doesn't even count it because he's, he's got, he's reaching out in all different directions. I kind of forget about it. I have picked it. I think it's great. Every time it comes in, I'm happy. I loved this ending, but it's still a little under the radar from, you know, I, I don't kind of think of it until it's in front of me. Whatever right. reason. I really loved how nervous Bruce was going home because of Alfred, not because of anything right. else, like not because he's about to wage war on crime in the entire city, but he's just worried that Alfred's going to be upset or something. He doesn't really even say what he's worried about. He's just, he's clearly not sure how Alfred's going to react to him. And the, the Alfred just throws himself into a hug. And it was great. Alfred's had a sweet setup for a while. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of house to maintain. But, you know, he no wants to take care of people, though. He probably he can make tea whenever he wants. People. He's got just stacks of cucumber sandwiches waiting for yes. someone to come by. Yeah. Uh, he was just looking out the window waiting for a car. Um, no, I liked the whole idea of 
Bruce being comfortable in the in the cave. That's so the, they this, they added bits of like right. um I don't want to say Batman kind of Batman Begins, but where where they, they intertwine him much more with Ra's al Ghul as sort of being trained by the assassin League of Assassins and everything. But there's a cave at Ra's base that he's much more comfortable in than the rest of the base, which he just likes the weird um claustrophobic angles and the fact that it's unfinished and the fact that it's it's not you know geometrically perfect like the rest of the base so he just liked all that so i like that sort of through line to the end with the last the very last shot of the whole book is is him down in the cave underneath the mansion i, I just thought that was a nice little touch here you guys cave guys i like a cave no oh. i've never been in a cave with any space in it i've only been in very very confined caves and i don't like that yeah because of how immovable the cave is like you can't right. you can't make more space i don't like i mean that. if it starts to move then you're in real trouble <laughs> Oh, sure. That's that's, yeah, that's exactly. the problem. You don't let the cave to move while you're yeah. in it. I've never seen a cave like this. The guy, his buddy, who came his back name around. I don't know. Yeah, I can never remember his name. He's shown like, up in I other think, books, and I don't care I about him. They, does he? I, I don't even yeah. know. Like they keep calling him different things. I really like him in this. I like the idea of like this is a great way to set up a nemesis, but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily an arch enemy. But also, I don't want to read those stories. Right. If that makes sense, does that make any sense? Like, like it works really well for this, but I hope, he, like, because you know what's going to happen. I think they're setting, uh, he's up. in charge of Batman Inc. now, the, the new issue. Yes. I think that one. Is, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Like, Batman's still a mess right now, right? Um, I mean, Chip's writing it, and it's good. Okay. But it's it's still the overall mess of uh, Lucius Fox has the money, and it doesn't, nothing's happened. You know, none of it works together very well. Yeah, I don't, but I don't like it. But, you know. Again, one, another great book she was writing is a Batman book. So, mm-hmm. but this was true. I mean, Ryan, I think I think you're totally right. If this this if this is the new origin, I'd be fine with it. I'm, I like I like I prefer Josh's idea of it's just another legend of Bruce Wayne's upbringing, right. and uh, you can pick and choose, sort of like you know Superman Birthright versus Superman Man of Steel. But uh, this was true. I mean, I, like you said, Josh, every time this came out, it's, it's like okay, ooh, now now what aspect of Bruce are we right. going to look at this? And it's fun. I think. I think what was also good about this, and I think it's important to, and I'm curious what you guys thought, but he's 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 with Rajah Ghul, and this is a possibly different version of Rajah Ghul. I'm not I'm not exactly sure, and he's you know presenting himself as you know a philanthropist. He's there to save the world. You know he's going to do the right thing, and then you you know you flip the page, and he's got a bunch of missiles. And well, that's that is that is Raz's thing. He's he's, he's going to save the world by yeah, yeah. cleansing it know, of, the, but, of the people who are ruining it. But sometimes he's done as better than evil and somebody's done more evil you know it, it depends so i didn't know what version of this was going to be and batman is going along with him to a certain extent and what i i wasn't sure about was if we were going to get to the point where like he he decides he can't be there anymore but it's not necessarily because he because he like if something as overt as sending a bunch of missiles out and then so the, the twist is just like of course i knew about this and he set them up to blow up and you're like oh there's batman and that shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but it was because I didn't know how far Batman was going to go with this as he was trying to quote unquote find himself. Mm-hmm. And, and he had been Batman all along, obviously, and had planned for the thing ahead of time. And it, that is the most Batman thing you can do. But I, it still caught me by surprise, and I liked it. I liked the device of when he fought. Was it, is it Ghostmaker? What is this fucking guy's name? Whatever, I think that's whatever. right. When he fought that guy early on, he had ch- and he choked him out. We but we kept flashing back to that moment where. He choked him out, and the next time we saw the guy said something unintelligible, and then the third time, he's the one that told Bruce, 
he's got missiles. And so it was a nice device to show how sort of how far back you know Bruce has been working on this. It was good. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. It was it was quality issue. I think I read this first and I'd almost forgotten about it because there were so many books, but as I go back through it, yeah. Yeah, I had like almost thirty books this week. It was a lot. So strap in everybody. By the way, this is we're about to uh, uh, go over the biggest oversight uh, of the week uh, in terms of pick of the week issues. G.I. Joe, Real American Hero 299, the penultimate issue of the Larry Hama saga, which began in the early 80s at Marvel, is now ending at IDW. And we've been talking about the last this whole arc. And at some point during the week, Josh just texted me, uh, are you reading G.I. Joe? Or did you read G.I. Joe? And then we just started talking about it. And I was like, you gotta you gotta save this man. We got a show to do. Um this 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 we're I mean I didn't make a pick of the week because I didn't have to, but this was definitely in the mix for pick of the week. Just it was so ludicrous in the best possible G.I. Joe way. Josh, why don't you take it away? I just I'm I'm, I'm you start off right away and you know I don't I don't remember everything that happens but I, I see you got Genghis Khan he's in the Serpentor uniform this is the first panel and he's dragging Cobra Commander along the ground and 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 Cobra Commander is yelling and you can hear Chris Lada this is mm-hmm. animated GI Joe shoot him you laggards mm-hmm. you know like he's and everybody's kind of surprised you know and and Serpentor is like who do you want him or me and all the Cobra guys go Serpentor or Serpentor Khan is what they call him, which is great. Yeah. And all Dr. Mindbender asks is, can I still do my experiments? And he's like, sure. And not only it's the middle of this battle going on and Mindbender cannot wait to get to the lab where he's got some seriously messed up stuff in there, including a cloned yeah. homunculus body of the original uh, snake eyes who he's going to then imprint with a different personality or make him his, uh, make him a soldier. And well, he hold descri- on. Okay. It's so much. It's, it's the personality of Snake Eyes that they got way back in the original series, if you recall, right. when they put him in that mind machine. Uh, I remember I can still see the image of him, you know, with the the mask over the top of his face. We never saw it, but so they're, what they're essentially doing is they're returning Snake Eyes to the story. So this is yes. this cloned body of the original Snake Eyes. They've got his original personality from original original uniform, also, and the original kick-ass uniform. And we see a little flashback, although I, I, I thought they showed slightly too much of his face in the flashback. But um, I remember that panel, though. Yeah. I remember that panel. It's uh, him in his little uniform with his sunglasses on. Right, with, with like Scarlet um, yep. coming off the, the boat. And so we're, we're going to get, at the, you know, at the turn of the tide, like Gandalf coming over the hill, we're going to have Snake Eyes join the battle right at the end. And... Uh, that was awesome. I was like, at oh, what point do yes. they do they morph and summon any sort of zords? That would make, <laughs> I don't I think that would make so, it more interesting to me. <laughs> one of the one of the other things is that it's very easy for us to uh, uh, distinguish old snake eyes from new snake eyes because new snake eyes uh, has a different uniform on it and everyone calls him Sean, which <laughs> I think is hilarious. And I think Sean's father, who looks 15. Is it Joe? <laughs> yeah. And then he he sacrifices himself to let them get, and they leave him. By the way, he's like, "Go without me," and they're like, "All right." And like, <laughs> Sean slash Snake Eyes waves waves at him, at him. <laughs> holding <laughs> holding an AR fifteen completely incorrectly. And it's just this is that, and then my absolute favorite panel, maybe in weeks, is they put Cobra Commander in in the clink in the brig. 
and he's sitting there. He's leaning back on one hand on a bench, and he has his legs crossed. And he goes, so this is languishing. I can't say I like it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and it was just, I was like, it is all, it was, there was so much joy in reading this. I, I kind of went, yeah. wait, is this really happening? Can I, and it, you could, I, honestly, I, I sent this to a friend of mine and I was like, I know you haven't been reading because you could just read this on his own. And like the next day he's like, that was amazing. Cause it was so good. <laughs> it was, this was like prime, oh pure. Oh my God. Send it into my veins, G.I. Joe. I'm so... Uh, everyone got a little bit... There was a little bit of great shipwreck. Sh- shipwreck. Uh, there was... Uh, Absolutely. I wish, I wish Storm Shadow was wearing his mask just because the mask was one of the coolest sure. things in, when I was a kid. But, uh, you know, crazy Dr. Mindbender re- resurrecting Snake Eyes. Genghis Khan in Serpentor's outfit. Languishing Cobra Commander. A mutant zombie virus bomb they're going to use. Like, it's just... Everything that you want from G.I. Joe is happening. How mad are right you now. that we haven't been reading this all along? I mean, a little bit, but also I kind of like dropping in right at the end yeah. and, and just getting it the pure, you know, insanity of, yeah. the, fun, of the finale. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was so delightful. <laughs> it was so subjectively delightful. Um, but this would have been my pick of the week. 100%. Nothing made me as happy as this. Just turn the page, the zombie mutant bomb. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like, you can't drop that in a lot of places and have it not be dumb, but it was perfect there. Uh, so, I guess Sean's dad's name is Wade. What's his code name? I don't know. He looked like a Joe. I Why does he know. look like he's 25? It's not, listen, it's not the best artist. But How old is Sean? That panel, isn't Sean a clone? Sean could be like five. True. Who knows? That panel of Cobra Commander in the jail cell. Oh, my God. It's the best thing I've ever great. seen. It was really great. That's all. Um, so that's all we need to say. <laughs> so uh, this week we also had GCPD, The Blue Wall, number one, written by John Ridley, with art by Stefano Raphael. And uh, uh, I mean, did you guys both read this? I did. And it made, it, it made me feel a certain kind of way about saying I wanted to see Gotham Central back. It's just weird. I mean, it wasn't bad. I didn't think no. from a story point of view. It wasn't. It was. It was inter- interesting and enjoyable. But it's just the like. Why? Why is Renee Montoya commissioner? Why get rid of James Gordon? That's another thing they really need to fix. Is like nobody wants down and out PI James Gordon who showed up briefly in the back story of either Detective or Batman. I can't remember which book. Like why? It doesn't. This doesn't add anything to the table. Like it's kind of like when. They make Falcon Captain America. It's like, are you improving this world or are you are you making it less interesting by by removing two interesting characters and replacing them with one new character who's not as interesting as she used to be? Mm-hmm. And that's what they've done here. It just doesn't. It just I, doesn't work. I did. I had a really. First of all, I didn't know. I was like, is she is she commissioner in the regular books? Is that a thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she's an amazing character, but. If you're going to show Renee Montoya in the Ascension to be... Uh, you read Nightwing, didn't you? Yeah. Right, she was in I, that as commissioner. That's <laughs> a lot of details. To keep so she's brave. Um, I know. Uh, uh, like, she was so self-doubting to the point of being kind of like, you know, that doesn't even seem like a police commissioner. It doesn't... Like, there's, there'd have to be some more self-confidence than that. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I, I just kind of didn't buy it. I wanted her to have more status. I didn't want it to be another writer experiment where they're trying to deal with their own um 
their own sense of uh, self doubt and imposter syndrome. Like I like, come on, it's the police commissioner. She's she's kick ass. She was the question. She, you know, right. she's she's like at no time do I, did I worry about that. There's a character. She was gay and she was confident about all of those things. So this thing is like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. I was like, I'm not interested in this story. I thought that the story about the the recruit who it all made a lot of sense. She didn't shoot in a situation Park. where yeah. you always think, you know, like, uh, oh, I've read this story. She's going to shoot the kid. And she didn't. And then they decided to make political hay of it. And then you find out she was just too scared to shoot. Um, I feel like when I read John Ridley comic books, I'm not reading a comic book about these characters or this place. I'm reading a story that he wants to tell using these characters in these places. Okay. It doesn't feel like, like uh, you know, Gotham Central was um, – it was Gotham. It was a place that you recognized. It was the thing that you recognized. And the stories were in the context of the DCU. Now, I'm not saying that those John Ridley stories are bad. He's an excellent writer. This was a really well done thing. But I don't feel like I'm reading a DC comic. I feel like I'm reading a story that's sort of vaguely set in the DC world. And I'm not there for that. I, I... Well, what is interesting is that, and this clearly takes place alongside of his I Am Batman book. Because yes. there's a editor's note here. And the I Am Batman book is his is the book that was supposed to be the Batman book in the aborted uh, new DCU that they were going to do before Dantadio got fired. And that's the one where, where Lucius Fox's kid is Batman. And the thing is, like that, I read a, I read a couple of issues of that book, but I had to drop off because it was terrible. But uh, that's a book that doesn't make any sense within the context of the current DC universe. So it almost felt like it was an Elseworlds book, but now we're seeing this is also in that world. Like, where... like. It doesn't really feel like it's part of the current DC. It feels like it's part of this this side, you know. I mean, they got a guy Ridley who... verse for lack of a better term. It just feels like it's not in the in the actual DCU because there's no way I am Batman can take place in the actual DCU. Batman would never let someone else run around calling himself Batman mm-hmm. in, in Gotham. It, just, it would never happen. And so, so this having being in that world feels like it's just part of his Elseworlds world he's doing and not part of the actual DC universe. To, to, to me, anyway. I mean, they got a guy who is an Oscar-winning screenwriter, and, and you know, and he wants to do these Batman stories, and obviously he knows the world, but he takes him in a, he's taking him in a different direction that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the DCU, I guess. Uh, and and you know, I saw I saw this, and I thought, I, in in most circumstances, I would want to read this story. This sounds like a great thing to want to read, but I I know that I haven't liked any of John Ridley's Batman stuff, so. Mm-hmm. But I went for it and I read it. You know, like I kind of got like it's really good. You know, like it was a it was a, a absolutely fine construction storytelling and all those things. You know, but I, I maybe I was just looking for Gotham Central. Well, yeah, we we just talked about that too. And I mean, Ryan, it's, it's it, like I couldn't quite tell if this was supposed to be propaganda, and it, it, if it is, it's weird for John Ridley to be telling that story. I thought and that's I just, interesting though. I thought it was like like you're taking like he was looking at the perspective of from both sides. He was going in you know in a David Simon like way. Um, I think that's interesting. But I mean, where were you? I mean, where were you going next? I, I, you know, we got these three recruits that we're kind of following, and they're all coming in bright eyed and bushy tailed, and they they don't want to get they don't want to get corrupted by the system. And, and so it almost I don't know. It just it feels a little fantastical that like these three kids are going to come out come into the Gotham city police department unscathed uh-huh. by the obvious levels of insane corruption that uh, it's weird that like, well, they, they won't necessarily come true, out of it. True. Like we have, we've off, we have seen yeah. the story before where, uh, you know, a rookie cop comes in and then by the end of it is, is been corrupted by the you know system. Was, or, or, you know, you know is it, was it, this? The was it, Presbulewski? 
was it Presbyluski yeah, in the wire Presbyl. who ended up like going, yeah, going to be a teacher, mm -hmm. something yeah. like that. But I just, it, it's, it's strange to me that like the Gotham city PD is corrupt entirely at the level above rookie all the way to commissioner, but the rookies and the commissioners are the good guys. I'm just like, that's, it's well, just well, the rookies just haven't had a chance yet. Yeah. They, they literally have been a job for like a week. Well, here. I mean, the, there was, was, there was another story. This was it this, it was another book this week about like Gotham being incredibly corrupt, but might've been this one. I don't remember. It was the penguin thing. Okay, I didn't read it, that. Yeah. It was, it was but either one, way, one, one, the idea yeah. that Gotham's Gotham's police department and an entire, you know, system is entirely corrupt is cartoonish. Yeah, it can't be. No, but it's cartoonish. So you have to, yeah. you have to have your disbelief with that right along with everything about Batman that doesn't make sense. And so, but it's also kind of like the Chicago police department sure. in the 1920s. Yes. Like, you know, Think about Untouchables. Like most of the cops, or a good portion, were, or, you know, were were owned by. Well, I just watched Untouchables, right. like Capone. But then you had the small pocket of Malone's guys who weren't right. corrupt. So they're if 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 the GCPD was entirely corrupt, the the city would collapse. On but itself. I always felt so like there has to be pockets yeah. of of cops that are actually not corrupt. On the and GCPD. I always felt like Gordon has his pocket of guys. And I think to Josh's point about Montoya being so uncertain about everything, she doesn't feel. I don't feel like she's got her pocket of people. Maybe that's where the story is going. Then you're, then like, you're you have no power. Yeah. Um, well, there's kind of there's there's it's it's shown visually there's that scene after she gives a speech and all the, the 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 brass is like congratulating her and they're drawn like demons. Mm -hmm. You know, on page uh, yeah. five. That's pretty nice. It's sort of shown that that's kind of what it is. She's in the midst of. And then I just thought, from a publishing perspective, it was strange. It was strange that this book had a content warning at the front of the book. And then it black it it black bars out all the curse words except the one racial slur that was, was the, about, for the content warning. I think the content warning. Yeah, it was the was racial about, slur. Oh yeah, no, but yeah, okay. I know. But to me, that was just a weird choice. Like, if you want to use racial slurs and curse words, like, can just make this a black label book, and you could still have the content uh, warning. It just felt weird to like. I think that's a stylistic choice that I don't entirely disagree with, but I think it's weird. Can I can I tell you that this book had, I think, the stupidest line of the week. Go on. And it was, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but it was for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a parole officer. <laughs> like one of them says that, I guess I never really wanted to be anything other than a parole officer. And I was like, no one in history has ever said that. Well, I mean, it is, it's a freeze frame, just like Goodfellas, because all comical panels are technically sure. freeze frames. I don't, I don't know how law enforcement works like this, but do you go through the police I, academy to become a parole officer? I didn't officer? think so. I did think that that was a different department for sure. Like that's a corrections thing or even like social work or something like that. Like he's he's there with them as a as a rookie cadet, and then later on we see him like in a polo shirt, and I was like, "What's I was this really guy doing? What, 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 what group is he?" They were in? talking about how they graduated. He's like, "I was going to be a parole officer," which on his face is stupid. And then, two, well, I mean, that's not necessarily no, sure not stupid, but like I don't feel like that's a job that people aspire to. I, I mean, it's possible. Well, it might be. Every parent job was in the prison or whatever, whatever. But then, in the context of him just graduating from the police academy, I was like, "Well, that what, that's not." That doesn't make sense. I could be wrong. I didn't do the research. I didn't write the thing, but it it it's it struck me. According to this article, in some jurisdictions, there may be certified law enforcement officials who have completed mandated police academy training to serve as parole officers. That's well, not the same go. thing as police training, though. But it says police academy training. Police academy training. Mandated police academy training. But maybe it's one of those things where like they make you take classes with the other people or whatever, but you don't necessarily graduate with the same thing. You couldn't also then just go be a patrol. It officer. seems it seems a weird 
system if the same like if there's one academy that's training right beat cops detectives SWAT team members and parole officers right. like it feels like there should be separate systems for those different roles and maybe that's it i don't know just it just was very strange i mean obviously there's some story reason to have this guy be a parole officer and you know his stories about well if he's, he's it's, the, it's well, right. one of the the kid he's talking to at the basketball court is the kid at the end of the uh yeah. end of the book with the gun yeah i mean it's just examining different yeah. different facets of law enforcement it, it was it was a strange book. I didn't dislike it, but it was strange. I, I don't I know. Agree. Is it an ongoing book? Oh, we don't know. It's the first issue. Who knows? Honor. Sticking with it? Maybe. Yeah, I'm going to read the yeah, second well, issue. I, I'm a, I think I'm a maybe on this one. Uh, another great book this week I thought was Rogues. The final issue of Rogues, black uh, label book, book four. The um, final issue of the, the Rogues doomed heist in Gorilla City. And uh, I liked it. I thought it was very good. I thought this whole miniseries has been terrific. I think it's been pick of the week two out of four issues, maybe uh, at least once. And it was it was remember. in the running for this week as well. I thought this was an excellent wrap up issue. I, I think there's something especially compelling about when the heist. You know, it's it's the dog day afternoon. Like the heist has gone, mm. or it wasn't even a heist in dog day afternoon, but like the uh, or I guess it was a robbery. It's gone. It's gone so badly that like we as the audience can see clearly there's no way out for the characters involved and it's the characters right. themselves in because they're living through this story and are moments of desperation are, are throwing every Hail Mary pass they can to try to make something work. And you just can see Len Snart making all the wrong decisions. Right. But we're coming back after readers. back after back. So we're used to the idea that when things look impossible, then that's when the hero or protagonist will pull through. And so when that does not happen, I was like, Oh, shit which is different than i had when i saw rogue one i had the problem with the movie that was like i knew everyone was going to die at the end i knew they were going to succeed in the thing and this i just i didn't know what was going to happen but i think my inborn expectations were not that they would all get killed or lose or like mm -hmm. i just i thought you can't do that because you you set up the rogues to be various levels of of reformed or good you know like len's sister and and tiger guy uh tiger king tiger king no, there you go. <laughs> i don't think bronze I don't th tiger yeah. bronze tiger <laughs> tiger yeah. king's a, got a mullet uh <laughs> either way uh you know like to like the have it all just fall apart and that's the end of it i was like i, I mean it makes sense but i didn't expect it it was a good reversal yeah i, I was genuinely shocked when the sister and is it bronze tiger yes his name is. tiger they got killed I just thought that, uh, you know, sometimes you, you let the good characters make it through, right? But other times it's the tragic end, and this is where and it, what happens. They return Grodd's baby to the mother, and they're like, fuck it, let's get out of here and live a better life. And then boom, 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 they get shot. I'm glad, the I'm glad the kid, Grodd's kid, didn't have a dark ending. I I was that the, kid was way too cute to. I know, right? The he kept looking through my soul with his big eyes. The, the moment that shocked me was when Snart broke the mirror gun. Because that was when I realized, like, oh, okay, yeah, they're fucked. There's no, there's no out. And, and they, make, they make the point. It was obviously, like, part of the clear theme of the thing was that, like, Snart's bad news. If you get mixed up with him, you will also be bad news. And they've been saying it the whole time. But you're just so, you're prepared in heroic stories to think there's going to be some sort of heroic comeuppance or some, something good will come out of it. Like, who wins here? Grodd? The bait, you know, baby? It's, it's not, no one. I mean, Grodd gets his kid back, but he loses all his money. And I well, like also says stand. in front of his wife, yeah. I'll just have another one. <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah. Not great. It's, uh, I like that the book, I like that this issue starts off with, you know, Lensnart talking about being um, 
unhoused with his sister as a kid and how the, the rich folks on their way to the office jobs were never charitable, but the blue collar workers are. And it plays into this, I think, self-made mythology that Lensnart has about himself, that he's blue collar. And then by the end of the book, he's, you know, betrayed all of the people that were supposed to be his like sort of blue collar allies. And then it cuts back to the bar where they all hang out and everybody's just like, yeah, Lensnart, that dude sucked. Like he was not, he was out for himself. He wasn't out for the rest of yeah. us. He, he didn't. He didn't actually have those values. It's, it's I thought that was to sort of go back to the David Simon sort of like wire season two or whatever. You know, some of those guys get mixed up in crime or whatever, but they're sort of saying, well, this is the thing they come from. And this is like there's no inherent uh, nobility about Len Snart, even though he believes it to be there and other people look for it like he's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. Even though he came he's, from he's, this place of, you know, he's putting eggs in his morning beer for crying out loud. Well, he's the fighter. Yeah. Apparently, my great grandfather used to do that. Put a put an egg in the beer. Yeah. It uh, it was good. It ended up wrapping up really well. I mean, this is one of the better things that Josh Williamson has written in a while. I thought this was a really nice, self-contained uh, piece. That that guy contains multitudes, man. He can do yeah. he can do superhero stuff that doesn't really make an impact. But to be fair, like I think you know, he had a great, great, great run on Flash. The Robin series that he just wrapped up was really good. You know, Dark Crisis is apparently a Not comic good. book. But it, but also that is what it is. Like if you're into that kind of comic book, I bet you think that's great. No, I am. I'm into that okay, kind of comic book, enough. and it's terrible. Uh, let's take a quick break here and talk about how if you enjoy this show and the various shows we do here at iFanboy, which is a lot of different kind of shows, if you enjoy those shows and they they make your comic book reading experience better and more fun, please consider uh, supporting our various uh, our network of shows. And there's, there's various ways you can do that. The first and most uh, beneficial way is to become a patron at Patreon.com/iFanboy. Most people have unlocked many of the shows we do. Uh, they've they've given everyone more shows to listen to, and they, you know, they they they've helped make everything better by making our 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 system bigger and more interesting. And we appreciate them. They're fun to hang out with on a monthly basis, and we like having them around. They're good people. Uh, we have stretch goals. We're actually, I'm I'm I've been editing a spreadsheet with new ideas. We're going to go over that and present them soon. We're going to switch things up a bit. We've had the same stretch goal since we started you know, four or five years ago, so we're gonna we're gonna make you know hopefully make things more interesting for you, and hopefully you'll consider becoming a patron. Patreon.com/slash/fanboy. So thank you for that. Fanboy.threadless.com is where you can buy our T-shirts. We've got twelve designs. I mean, there's other th- products and services and goods and sundries you can get the designs on, but most people buy T-shirts. You can find that at Fanboy.threadless.com. Fanboy.com/slash/support is where you can uh, tip via PayPal. Fanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can find the Booksplode books as well as a general Amazon shopping link and bookshop.org. You'll find those links sometimes around the website, depending on, the, on what we're talking about, where you can you can buy books through them and help support local bookstores. And it's a great service, and we do appreciate everyone who helps uh, support my fanboy shows in various ways. We literally could not do it without you, I so mean, thank you very much. I, I, can, I can specifically say that they've had a lot of support to my life, the iFanboy patrons, and... Uh... <laughs> I really appreciate it uh, in a bunch True. of different ways. But, but you know, if you don't think that this matters and doesn't help, trust me, uh, it does. Uh, and, uh, and not only just like I, I will say, like, there's been iFanboy people who have been so awesome to me uh, in the past couple of months. And uh, it's all part of this community. And I'm very proud of it. Thank you. Great community. So Public Domain 5, is this, this seems like the final issue of this arc. I, I, I arc. saw earlier. Yeah, I saw earlier he's doing another arc, but he hasn't done it yet. So this is the final issue for now. I just, I, I it's one of those I wouldn't have seen this coming as a thing, based on all the other work that Chip Sarsky's doing. I was kind of drunk there. Chip Sarsky's doing. <laughs> um, 
and you know he's doing all I don't know where this guy sleeps, but um when yeah you got to strike while the iron's hot like, you know you do and he is and it's like like there, I can't think of a big whiff or anything out of all this stuff but this is so different than the other things but it's one of those you know most comic writers or artists have a making comic story or a comic business story and then we've all you know mm-hmm. Bendis has done one they've all done one Chaykin made a little thing on it for a while. And and there's this little bit in here with the end that really that stuck out to me is that like the one brother who looks like Chip Zdarsky, um, <laughs> he's an asshole. Is an asshole, and he's like, I can't, I don't want to be this kind of writer, you know. And then there's the other girl who all she ever wanted to be was this kind of writer. And you go back and you see her, I think her Korean family is like, you can't have her do this, you know. It's sort of almost stereotypical, like this is you have to be a doctor, you know, whatever it is, you know. And and she's always been touched by the comics, and that's what she's always wanted to do. Um, you know, the, like it's there's just enough leeway to be silly. The goofy fan who's over there all the time, and listen, we know that fan. Like I've seen that guy. <laughs> but listen, they they found their eccentric billionaire. They fan. did exactly. <laughs> they got they. It was a little bit of a Deus Ex Machina where this yes. fan who's always hanging around and always getting the dad to sign stuff is actually incredibly wealthy and decides to fund their publishing company for a year. Like. It was a little bit of that, but you know, whatever. That's a thing that happened. Right. No, it was funny though because um, they opened the doors; it was all furnished. And, I, and my instinct, my instinct was like, that can't have happened already. Like, like <laughs> I thought that was. Yeah, just I thought like we, I thought we did a jump forward. Yeah, and no, it's just this dude. But you know, that all came from the fact that, and I can't help but love it, is that the dad, the beloved comic book artist, who has no avarice about him at all, he really just does it for the joy of comic books, has just always been nice to him. He gives him books. Mm-hmm. He won't let him pay him. He signs stuff. He just likes that this person likes the work and likes. The, and it, I love it, that. I love that juxtaposed with the guy, the, the other uh, guy who wants to come out of retirement out of spite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody's kind of treating him as like, OK, I guess the old man's going to like take up an office space again, but we're not really going to let him do anything. Yeah. Josh, did you see that um, somebody in the discord pointed out that Chip did confirm that there's a lot of color theory going on here and, and he purposefully designs these pages to have certain colors in certain places for certain reasons? I didn't, but cool. So, yeah, no, you I mean, you nailed it. Yeah. One of my favorite things we can't go too long. One of my favorite things with this issue was that. Like. The dad isn't good anymore. I d- I I bumped that was, on that because I, I saw his, I saw that drawing and I was like I don't know that looks fine to me and they're all like they're they're all like oh no this is gonna be terrible and then I I should have seen the inker the the tattoo artist becoming the inker as it was obvious in retrospect but yeah well done this book shouldn't be any good like if I described <laughs> it to you you'd be like that sounds terrible if I described some of the beats to you you'd be like that's awful. But it's also incredibly realistic, like, hey, a lot of these guys don't have it anymore, or what they have isn't what you want anymore. Right, like, the, like the, the drawing is good, but, like, it's not going to sell comics. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. People aren't going to buy a comic drawn like that, so it takes the, the sun ink over it and make it look modern. Same thing with the writer. He's there, He's like, I'm coming back, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to handle everything, and the, the employees are like, fuck, this guy can't do it anymore. Like, it's just, the, the things move on. doesn't know what a fax machine is, which is cheap, but, you know. No, he has a fax machine. Doesn't know right. what other stuff is. Well, he um, wants the, he wants them to he wants to fax the pages to the artist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. It's just it, it it was an interesting way looking at sort of the generational mm-hmm. shift. I mean, we, we we certainly know many many old time comic artists who still have it. Yeah, uh, writers who still have it, but sometimes they don't. You know, right? Stan Lee's stuff was terrible when uh, after a certain mm-hmm. point. I I just, I'd really just, be interested in the sort of stories behind where this came from, if anything. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 
it was either Chip sort of had sort of a mentor or knew about a story about somebody who was or what, you know, like all that Howard Chaykin stuff comes from stories that have been passed around one way or another. Um, and this is probably an amalgam of things, but it's really interesting to me, me try to figure out. I was like, oh, is this guy like Walt Simonson? I mean, I don't think he has, but it, it reminds me of that because he's just such a good dude. Uh, I assume, Josh, that you read Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man number one because of Juan Ferreira. I did. I read Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man number That's one. That's how you say his name, by the way. Because of Juan Ferreira. Ferre- There's an R missing there. Ferreira. Oh, um, okay. Uh, uh, yes, I did. Uh, I believe I've never heard of the writers Taboo and B. Earl, which makes me think of Toe Jam and Earl um, for some reason. <laughs> Taboo and B. Earl. Wow, dust off your Sega Genesis, everybody. The idea, that game was great. <laughs> it was like a hip hop based. I don't know. What I was for whatever reason as a kid, I was very grossed out by it. I I was that was one of the first games of my life that I was blown away by. I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And it was funny. Games weren't funny. Anyway, I'm not doing that. So taboo taboo was from the Black Eyed Peas. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Based on this book, uh, Spider Man cannot claim to be have a full week bear free. Yeah. So the idea is that um, this is like the dark spider-man story so it's it's, he's got like flamey eyes or whatever and i'm gonna be honest this story wasn't awesome didn't make a ton of sense like uh spider-man flew to la to play chess with a friend and and basically he's having these like hallucinations he fights no he's there to work on like some project with like sound with whatever a collaborator i thought he was going to visit it doesn't matter like the script wasn't awesome he was pretty quippy it wasn't like off-brand but it was just it was like a little like a, a generation back of where it needed to be in terms of that but again, I read this because of Juan Ferreira. And the entire thing was justified by their... Basically, they're trying to figure out the key to this science experiment that they're working on. And he, uh, for some reason, gets clued into the Fibonacci sequence, right? There's one page in this book that takes place in a spiral formation. And the panels get smaller and smaller as you go in. And in the last panel, they're super tiny. And it, it was yeah. my favorite page of the week. Like by far, I look to see it was available for purchase, and that, I don't have money. Better than than, than Cobra Commander. And I'm also going to look up that page. I'm guessing that goes for us. Uh, but but either way, I just thought it's one of those be- like like Ferrer has such a great visual um, imagination, and I actually I, when mm-hmm. I looked for that page, I started looking through other pages of his, and they just they just stand out all over the place. That one page, I thought, oh, you've just done a visual representation of the mathematical concept that they're talking about. And and like it all, it looked fine. It looked great. Like he he you know he he draws what he draws. It depends on the script a lot of the time. But that one page really did it for me. And that's I wanted to make sure I didn't let it go. Well, he he was the artist that did that uh, Spider Man Marvel Infinity comic. That was the the scroller, yeah. and it was very inventive visually. Yeah, oh, he's, I mean, it has to be if you, if you if you read that. Yep. Uh, B Earl is an American Indian writer who wrote uh, had a story in the Indigenous Voices special, and then uh, did an arc of Werewolf by Night. So he's a new writer. Okay. And Taboo, again, is from Black Eyed Peas. Cool. Uh, Deadly Class 56 is the final issue. And we talked. We just talked last week on the, on the 850 show about where are the long indie arcs. And really, it's it's sort of dying out with Rick, Rick Remender's books. So he had, you know, Black Science went around this many issues. 56 is basically 60, which used to be the standard run on these stories. So Deadly Class may be it for a while and this is the, this is it for him and Rick Remender and Wes Craig I think Wes Craig drew every issue I, I think oh yeah I think so pretty sure I mean I don't know I haven't read it but uh, but uh he actually I mean you know they, the main characters uh Miguel and Maria get their revenge on on the people that have been tormenting them from the class we're now in 2023 in the book 
and uh, there's a conversation about you know will we have a happy ending? And he's, you know the conversation is well, no one gets a happy ending. Eventually, everyone dies, and it all depends on when you stop telling the story. Like, do you stop at the happy point, or do you take it to the, to the extent of everyone dying? And it's sad. So he allowed you know it's sort of a meta commentary, and and he so he stops the story with them on the couch together having a nice moment. And then we flash back to them as all kids and all the all their friends who are now dead are you know alive again. And they're it's just a, a dumb a dumb teenage conversation they're having on the way to like a party, and it sort of recaptured you know them in their prime at the, when they were you know all still friends, all still alive, still the school, and, and Miguel's being in his head and being sort of mopey and fatalistic. They're going to Denny's actually, another party. They're leaving a party, going to Denny's, and. And they all just sort of make fun of him for being so mopey, and it's just a, it just a, it was a nice way to end the story where he and his wife get to, you know, kiss on the couch and have a happy ending, and then we flash back to them as kids, and everyone's happy, and it was really just really nice. It was a good ending. Endings are hard, and he's done a really good job with his. Yeah, he's he's a good endinger person. Yeah, it was a great book. It really was the whole way through. I really liked it. At Deadly Class a lot. Uh, Flashpoint Beyond number six is the end of this arc, I believe, uh, written by Jeff Johns, the end of the Tim book. Sheridan, and Jeremy Over. Adams. I, yeah, I think it's the end of the book as well. Um, it's kind of this feels six of six on the cover. This feels like a throwbacky book in that there was a time when Jeff Johns put if Jeff Johns put a bunch of stuff on a chalkboard in the background of a scene, that was like a week's worth of content on the internet, and uh, I don't think right. we're there anymore. Um, so I don't know why I read this. Well, I mean, this is this <laughs> it's is not bad. out of continuity. It's out of continuity. It's not, you know, it's, it's, he's not at the main player in DC anymore. So he gets to, to be off uh, sort of on the side doing whatever that doesn't really affect anything else. So that's why, you know, it doesn't make any, any sort of impact because it's it, not. It's, yeah. DC it's Batman or, versus Rip Hunter and Batman has the entire Flashpoint universe in a snow globe. And uh, so that pocket universe gets to exist even though Rip Hunter mm-hmm. wants to destroy it. And then suddenly there's now a character named nostalgia based off of Adrian Veidt's perfume. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's for whatever reason he's intent on keeping Watchmen around, but uh, it doesn't make a difference. It's just not affecting anything else. I mean, the, the, the thing you're talking about is the page where all these 13 people are, who were being kept alive by the time, the time cops yes. get sent back into the DCU. And there was a chalkboard in a previous issue though. Right. This is just uh, the characters. For, it looks like it's JSA books, like the Golden Age Aquaman and Judy Garrick, and you know the Golden Age Legionnaire. So it's just going to be. He's just whatever. It's just going to affect whatever his his JSA, which I'm very excited for. It's so strange to have these books coming out, and you know when when he first started doing like his Doomsday Clock stuff, it was contemporaneous with the Watchmen TV show, and so it's just strange to see like a different medium do Watchmen better than the successor comics have been able to do it. Well, it's just this one book. I mean, you know, the the before watching stuff was some of it was really terrific. Yeah, that that feels like a distant memory at this point. I I have I guess you could say I have a bottle of nostalgia for that. <laughs> so those are the comics we wanted to talk about. There's a lot of comics going to talk about a lot more, but we didn't we don't have the time. Uh, but the patrons get their say. They have the patron pick. Every patron gets a vote to add a book to the rundown. And, and this week's winner, speaking of nostalgia, it was Miracle Man, The Silver Age, number one, written by Neil Gaiman, art by Mark Buckingham, closed by Jordi Belair, letters by Todd Klein, and uh, uh, Josh, when is a, we, we we did that video show on, on Miracle Man like 12 to 13 years ago. Yes. And that was the last time I read Miracle Man. Yes. 
we read the entire Alan Moore run. And a little. Uh, did we read? Was I guess Alan Moore? We didn't read the Neil Gaiman bits. Uh, not not for the show. All right. Is this the original stuff? I don't. I just don't know. I didn't do. You know, I, so, poor, so poor planning. I didn't look up what this actually this. is. I was but. I was expecting you to. I wasn't sure about it, but when I started reading it, um, I, th- I, th- I think this is new. Unless they radically went in and sort of remastered it because it doesn't look like comics mm-hmm. looked then. It's not how the coloring would have been. It's not. Um, well, it's, yeah, it's it's Jordy Belair. Yeah. So I think this is a new story, which is really interesting because I mean, the thing that struck me right away was I remember when Joe Casada announced at Comic-Con yeah. that they had gotten the Miracle Man rights and it was like a huge deal and then what happened was nothing for, for years until like 10 until, years like, until now basically did they even reprint yeah. them like is that a thing they did okay they did There's collections so of like they're available now for reading and I know that um you know the the big story no that's something else you know like it just didn't really happen and so to have a Miracle Man story come out this week, and I, I think it's new. We can, we can, um, but that was my. No, no, it's, I'm looking at it now. It's, this is remastered. No shit. Uh, the first two issues are remastered, and after that, they'll be new. Okay. That makes sense because I don't think it finished. So, okay, but that, that on its own is really interesting because this feels like a, a, a modern comic. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I, I would 100% believe that it was done now. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Buckingham. <laughs> looks like Mark Buckingham. You know what I mean? Like you read yeah. this or you read fables like he's, you know, he's he's still got his thing going on. And I was uh I was totally uh, you know into it. I was compelled. I'm I'm not going to tell you it's like the greatest comic I've ever read, but once I got my feet under me and I I sort of recognized uh, uh where I was and kind of remembered all those bits. And I will tell you that the exact moment that I thought was my favorite is um what's his name? Is it M- 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 kid miracle the names man are confusing man. and not yeah it's, it's like there's miracle man there's miracle young man, miracle man kid miracle man and young miracle <laughs> man kid miracle man was the villain in the right okay series. so this is young miracle man ymm mm-hmm. um and he he goes i'm tired and he goes in to meet everybody and he's like what was that there was <laughs> yeah. a black guy there was a whore in a swimsuit and you're like oh he's got 60s or like maybe even 40s because it's supposed to be 40 years later and this would have been done in the 80s like his his uh prejudices you know, his, Yes, his and his understanding of the world are based on you know things forty years prior. No, he's from the fifties. The character okay. himself died in the fifties, so his his he's like, why is there a black guy there? Right. Who's the Jezebel? And like, it's just like, whoa, which, is, okay. which is I just like that really struck me, you know, because we have this idea about like how Captain America comes out of the ice and he's the greatest guy in the world. Well, this guy comes out of the ice and he's got fifty sensibilities, and it ain't good. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, and I guess that's part of the thing is that like the utopia that these other characters are all living right now. Granted, they live in the house of the overlord. You know, it's pretty diverse. It's pretty mm-hmm. like modern, you know, in that sense. Uh, I really liked that bit. And I liked, you know, everything, you know, is wrong. I like how Miracle Man was trying to be like, well, it's kind of roll it out to you slowly. But I guess we can't. We're in a comic book. You know, like it was... <laughs> It's interesting. We talked about this a bit on the Miracle Man show itself, and that book, which by the way, you just go to YouTube and, and go to our page, and you can find it. Uh, that book is terrific. That Alan Moore book is legitimately yes. terrific. However, it, it couldn't it couldn't help but to be disappointing for people who had never read it before, because yes. it was this legendary comic that no one was able to read for rights reasons. Mm-hmm. It was never reprinted and hard to find back issues. They were pop. They were really really hard to find for a while. 
And so it just it just got this legendary status of this lost Alan Moore book that was so terrific and no one could read it. And so when people did, they often were like, "That's it," because at the end of the day, it was it was a it was a fine book. I enjoy I I really enjoyed the Alan Moore stuff, but it's I wouldn't put it in his top you know level of books. So it, it often becomes disappointing for people. And so then I don't know if there's actually like an audience for this. I agree. Who cares? You know, I agree. Um, it's just it was almost better as this legend. Than it was in reality. I think one of the other things, too, is that I think really cool things happen in that book, and they're unexpected, but it set a tone to a certain extent, and so those things were then done again later by others, and so it feels like something you've read before. It was the first one who did it. You know, the sort of big villain turn, you know, Mm -hmm. not the first one, but done in that sort of, I'm air-quoting, modern style. Um, It's a real trendsetter in a way, and it affected people... You know, the art was, you know, way ahead of where art was at the time. It did a lot of things right, but it influenced so many things that did them afterwards. So by the time that most people got to go back and read it, if you're not reading in the context of what it is, when it came out, what else was going on, it's going to maybe feel underwhelming. Um, right. It's like people who hear music from the 60s or old movies. Right. Like, what's the big deal? And it's like, well, that because without this, nothing right. else happened. It's but like the people, yeah, people see the Beatles. It's just movies. interesting. I just, I just don't know if, that people really care. I don't. You know, I don't. I don't have like a, a ton of context for. I haven't read the original Alan Moore stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I watched your show when it came out, but um, uh, so, so I, don't, I was coming into this relatively fresh um, in terms of knowing. I'm really curious. This must have been like complete nonsense. I mean, it wasn't that bad because it's it's playing on tropes that I'm familiar enough with that I could keep up, and I, I know the general I know the generalities of Miracle Man. I just I'm not. I haven't dove deep into the story so i was able to follow along and i I would say i would say i even enjoyed it it wasn't you know it was a well-constructed comic um gaiman and bucky still have it so uh i really actually (laughs) uh i i really enjoyed mark buckingham's sketchbook at the end that's not normally a part of these books that i spend a lot of time on but i thought um his his thoughts on the different designs of the costumes and updating them and his color theory work and and uh, even how he uses legos to build the buildings that he has to draw so he can look at them in 3d i was like that's neat that is neat. Yeah, that was interesting. It, it, I don't know. It was just a weird book. I didn't know if I liked it or di- didn't like it or didn't care. Like it was, there were interesting scenes for sure. Like that scene, Josh, you mentioned that was probably, that was the best scene. It's like, oh, that's interesting, and I've never read that scene before, or at least I can't remember reading that scene before. Yeah. But uh, overall, I was like, I don't know what this is, or if anyone is like so like, how is anyone supposed to enjoy this fully without having read everything that's come before and how many people have actually read everything that's come before and i I just it's just weird i think the other thing that's interesting is that like marvel is clearly treating this like something that's very special and important but going back to what you said it's not to most people it is if you are a comic book historian or like the lover of comic book history and you like really but you know, we've been on the internet long enough now that if you wanted to read something so bad, you would have. I and mean, that's how I read it. You know, like, I couldn't get the issues. So, wait, we can, I mean, like, I don't feel bad downloading issues of a book that you could not get. But we, we read, I mean, yeah. the issues, we, some, a little, uh, our buddy Tad Stone sent us the run. That's how yeah. we read it for the show, was we read all the physical issues. And I I had bought most of them off of eBay by, the, by that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd been, I, after a while, I just sort of been collecting them slowly but surely. Who ended up with I those issues? Them. You have them. I have well, a lot of great does. comics from Ted. They're my favorite. Well, at least you have them. I was worried that they went out the door no, with my stuff. I was like, oh, shit, who has those issues? I'm glad you have them. 
uh, I don't know. It's just weird. It, I just don't think there's any. I don't think there's any call or clamoring for this to finish. It, it, some things are just left better left to history. Like yes, like that was this strange, cool book that went away. And if you can find it, great. But no one's really. Listen, if something is forty years old and it's famous for never having finished and not have an ending, and you say, we're going to tell the ending, you've fucked up already. Unless your name is George R.R. R. Martin, in which case, please keep at it. We're all rooting for you. <laughs> he hasn't uh, stopped working on it. He's I know, I know. working <laughs> on it very slowly. It's a, I'm, I, I'm here for it whenever it arrives. Yeah. I, I'm excited for it, but he's the, he's the exception. Yeah, no. But, he, but like, Neil Gaiman is terrific, obviously. Yes. Duh. So, But even then, it's like, at the time, I wasn't really interested in reading his issues. Like, it was Alan Moore's right. thing. He finished his story. And it, it didn't need to keep going. And it's proto with somebody Moore. else. It's, it's, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's reading like, oh, wow, this guy did have it, which is setting him up to do these amazing things that he did later. Like, it's really good. You can see it. It's all on the page. You're right. It's not his best stuff. It's like listening to the, you know, the earliest Beatles albums. You know, you go, okay, right, there's a thing here that's cool, and it's setting up for him to do Abbey Road, which is going to be amazing. Uh, it's a bet, it's, it's, it's a stretch, it's, a, listen, I, I know what you're saying, and I agree with you, but the point being, like, it's, it's an earlier point in the progression. Music often doesn't yeah. work. I mean, it was the same thing he did, like, Marvel Man, which was the original name, and I don't know why they're not going back to it, because that was, like, part of the whole thing about getting it back, but, uh, Marvel Man was from the fifties. It was a character that again that Alan Moore reappropriated in nineteen eighty two, which was which a which was a rip off of Captain Marvel. I mean, like it's all yeah. It's a this is a Captain and, Marvel. And when I say a rip off, like I don't mean like oh, it was very similar. I mean they were literally going, let's just do that, but change it right. a little bit so we don't. And get Captain Marvel was a rip off of Superman. I mean there was a lot of it, right. that was it was the style at the time. It was yeah. like an onion <laughs> on your belt. <laughs> so how do we rate this? Thank Good you for question. catching that reference, Josh. No uh. I don't know. I'm going to go straight up because I don't really know another way to do it. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go on my sort of enjoyment of the thing, tying back to a thing that I think is a really interesting part of comic book history and a pretty good story that, that we're still talking about. 3.75. Mm. Which feels high when I say it out loud, but I'm interested. And I was, when I was, when I was done, I was like, okay, you have my attention. Ryan. Um, I think given, given the sort of mythic and miraculous nature of the thing and the somewhat, the somewhat irrationality surrounding its, its publication, I'm going to give this a rating of pi, irrational number beginning with (laughs) 3.14 and a lot more numbers after that forever. Interesting. Just feels right. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with three out of five. Uh, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, wow, man, this is, it's, I've really had to work hard to remember anything. If this had come was, out when they got the rights, I mean, that, God, that must be at least 10 years ago. I want to say. Oh, way more, it, way yeah, more. Like, like we were, we were at the convention working, we were shooting a video show. Right. And so that, that had to be, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. And, and like the rumor around that time was like, Alan Moore was going to come work at, at Marvel again. Um, just absurd. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, if you looked at the house ad for the trades, uh, his name is not on those books. Yeah, but that's yeah. It's just because he, he doesn't want it there. But like the point is, if this had come out then, I think it would be a whole other thing. And and I mean, it's so mm-hmm. long. You know, it's like like the comeback no one asked for. Right. 
Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I, I will read it. You know, I, I'm gonna. I am gonna read the next one. Are you, Connor, you're gonna keep going. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Okay, I looked it up. 2009. Yeah, that's about right. Was when they got the rights. 13 years ago. Yeah. Like nobody yeah. is even. Nobody who would have cared about that point is even reading comics anymore. <laughs> Except us. Oh boy. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I might. I may or may not. I'm, I have not decided. Fair. Honestly, I'm, I'm sort of punting that question just because I don't. Great Todd Klein on letters. You know, it's a great week for letters. Always. So there you go. Patron pick. Patreon.com/slash/fanboy. Every patron votes to add a book to the rundown. Thanks for voting. Thanks for being a patron. But if you're a patron at the five dollar or higher level, you get a superpower bestowed upon you as if from the gods above, live on the show. And this week, it's Ryan's turn. I don't think I said if I was sticking with it, and my answer is probably oh. not. Sorry. Oh, I thought you were going to be a yes. That's why I asked him, because I was sure. I figured you'd keep going. No, I think if I was going to, I mean, this might spur me to go back and read the original Alan Moore run, but I don't know that, I, I don't know that, that's not likely to happen before the next issue of this comes out, sure. and I feel like I'll right. use that as an excuse not to. That, I mean, that's I worth say it. It's, yeah, I was going to say it's totally worth it. Yeah. Anyway. Go ahead. Gilbert can manifest $1,000 inside any unopened 28-ounce can of San Marzano tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was there was a text earlier during the show where he's like, I think I figured it out. And I thought, oh, it's going to relate to something we talked about. And it did not. No, it did. Because you, you know what I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Josh? San, San, Marzano, San Marzano tomatoes? A bear. That's true. That's true. So Gilbert is the name of the patron, and he is... He is uh, <laughs> As long as he's got that, as long as he has that. Uh, they have to be real San brand. Marzano tomatoes. They can't be, because a lot of places will sell you San Marzano style tomatoes. Nah, no, no, no. We all watched the, 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 the um, show on CNN the with the actor in the okay, San cause... Marzano region. Yeah. That's not what I meant. What's the, who's the act? <laughs> San Tucci. He goes to San Marzano oh, and yes, talk yeah. about the tomatoes, the, the whole thing. Yeah. The Tucci. That sounds great. Love the Tooch. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks, Gilbert. You now have an unending supply of $1,000 if you can find those tomatoes. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thanks for being a patron, Gilbert. And uh, let's quickly do an email because we got Ryan here. And it's for him. The question is from Brad G. from Exeter, California. And Brad says, science question for Ryan. I've been thinking about this question for four minutes and 34 seconds after reading Batman Superman World's Finest number seven. That was the last issue, not this week's. Where it says Superman cells process solar energy differently on Earth than humans, I'm inferring that means Superman's process Superman processes the solar energy to make energy he can use a la photosynthesis. Does this mean Superman and Kryptonians are part plants, or do they just use photosynthesis? This wait, is something wait, we wait, actually wait, 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 wait. Before you say anything, I'm now setting a timer for four minutes and thirty four seconds. Should you go over this by any moment, we are done with the question. Go. Okay, I love it. I love that for us. Um, this was something we debated heavily in the early days of my podcast, Science Sort of. Um, in episode yeah. nine, we had a physicist on to explain his grand unified theory of Superman's powers. His name is Ben Tippett. He's now a good friend of mine. Um, but that ignited a discussion of, of the, the source of Superman's energy. Uh, I have been a staunch uh, opponent of the photosynthesis theory simply because Superman is not green. And uh, photosynthesis here on Earth occurs using organelles called uh, chloroplasts and they are green because the, uh, the, the spectra of light emitted by the sun is at its most absorbable within like the green wavelength area. So it, it's this weird thing of like, if 
plants evolved on other solar systems with different colored suns, they'd probably have different colored plants because uh, you they kind of evolved to optimize the light spectra being emitted from the sun for them. Um, mm-hmm. And photosynthesis is a very specific sequence of chemical reactions that turns carbon dioxide uh, use it and uh, using stellar energy or photons into a simple sugar called glucose. Um, so one carbon, two hydrogen and oxygen, and then it uh, produces uh, oxygen and water as a byproduct. So, um, so, so I, I don't think, you know, Superman is not green, nor is he like simply producing glucose uh, as a simple sugar, like he's producing this wide suite of powers. So I have long since advocated for the idea that Kryptonians are photovoltaic which Three is minutes just, remaining, and I'm 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 wrapping this up. I'm nearly done. So uh, he's which, like a human. He's like a human solar panel. More like a human solar panel than a human plant. One really interesting quirk on this whole thing that I do want to point or out is that there not are human, but there are animals on Earth that photosynthesize. Uh, my favorite example is there's this sea slug called Elysia chlorotica that as a as a when it first hatches it eats this algae that it doesn't fully digest and it actually incorporates the chloroplasts of the algae into its own cells so when it's in its adult form it has cells in its body that it has absorbed from algae that are actively photosynthesized to provide it food so it's this green slug that has figured it's an animal that has figured out how to co-opt photosynthesis for their own purposes which is really cool and i think in the comics it's usually krypton is usually portrayed as orbiting a red star it's unclear. Yeah. I, in college, I took a class on stellar evolution, which was fascinating. Or I took an astronomy class that covered a lot of stellar evolution. And so red gi- So there's two kinds of red stars. There's red giants and red super giants. It's unclear to me two which minutes. type of star uh, Krypton orbits. But either right. of those stars would be larger and older than our star. They would probably be more luminous. They probably throw off more light. What, but part of that depends. What on do you that. think the odds are that Jerry Siegel took a class like right? that? Right. <laughs> or just made it up? Um, well, I think Krypton is also meant to be a more massive planet than Earth. So like Kryptonian muscles would have developed under a higher uh, amount of gravity. And then if they're uh, the idea, I think, was always that like Kryptonians are getting older light because they have an older star. So when they come to this younger solar system, that's what kind of wakes up their cells and gives them this extra boost of energy. Um, I double checked the issue, uh, the number seven world's finest and the character um, that is processing light. Similarly, that they're making reference to is from Gotham and the the scene where he's getting launched into space. Gotham has that classic red sky. Um, So I also wonder if there's like an atmospheric effect that's preventing all the light from whatever star they're orbiting from getting down to the planet's surface to that's also helping these people like suppress their powers on their home planet, but allows their powers to come to to full force on Earth. Hmm. That's my thoughts. I was watching the clock. I didn't hear most of it. So he's not he's not photosynthesis. He's photovoltaic. That's been my argument, but I think I think there's there's room for discussion. I'm not have I'm not you, claiming any, I have the I'm not claiming I have the the perfect answer here. Has anybody considered the actual correct answer? Uh, that it's it's actually Clark who's been filling up the Batmobile's tires this it's entire time with his super comic breath. books. <laughs> I need to know who's filling up the Batmobile's tires with it's air, Josh. It's comic books. I need yep. to know. Alfred, contact at fanboy.com <laughs> is how you can write in like Brad. Thanks for writing in. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, good question. Let's, get, let's do some plugs and get out of here. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the show, but just behind the show on the feed, we put out a new Booksplode review this past week. Oh, Josh and I looked at Cosmic Odyssey, the 1988 miniseries from Jim Starlin and early Mike Mignola, Mike Mignola. And we had a great time talking about that. It went longer than I thought it would. And it's a fun book and a fun conversation. You can find that show right behind this one on the feed. Sometime soon, there'll be a review of Black so Adam. Not sure when. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's set to come out this later this week, probably Thursday. 
uh, if you have if you listen to the show early in the week, but that's about when we're aiming for it. We have to go see it and we have to review it, and hopefully that comes out then. And then later, uh, actually not this month, it's going to come out a few days into November. It will be the October media split, just because of scheduling. We got screwed. We, we want to talk about House of the Dragon. We want to talk about Lord of the Rings, and House of the Dragon uh, just doesn't end. It's just there's just too many shows we're doing, and House of the Dragon screwed us. So we're it's going to come out the very first, <laughs> so you got, so you got screwed by Hot D. Hot D did, Hot D did. So we're gonna it's gonna come out uh, November third, uh, and then you'll have another media explode just a few weeks later. But uh, that's just the way it goes. We had a, the a lot of scheduling really screwed us. This, this Talking week. targs with, yep. with the iFanboys. fanboys. Yes, <laughs> I do a show called Science Sword. If you can check that out, sciencesword.com. I was a guest. I was asked to be a guest on somebody else's program. And that what? That, I, and I I didn't run it by Carol again. I'm going rogue. Yeah, didn't you? You got to clear that with uh, us. Well, know? this wasn't about comic books. This, this is about, our brand you're messing with. This here. is about yeah. dinosaurs. So. What if you went on some sort of eugenics show? We <laughs> it, was a, it was actually a, it was a genetics show because it was about Jurassic Park. <laughs> is, is dinosaur eugenics okay to talk about? Is it I only, mean, are eugenics not only not only not okay if it's people? <laughs> I mean, they're mixing these dinosaurs with frogs, so that's clearly yeah. I don't know what approach that is philosophically. Uh, Joe, uh, Joseph Dorowski invited me to come on his podcast, the protagonist podcast to talk. They talk about a great character and a great story every week. And I came on to discuss, uh, the first Jurassic Park film and I decided to have my cake and eat it too. So we're talking Alan Grant, we're talking Ellie Statler and we're talking Dr. Ian Malcolm. So I went with all three of the, the main professorial characters of that movie. And I rewatched, I rewatched Jurassic Park guys and it's so good. It is good. So check that out. Yes. Let's serve it. Yes. 100%. On the Dueling Genre Network of Podcasts. Thanks for having me on, Joe. Get over to ifanboy.com. You can find all of our shows and vast history of comic book writing from all of the writers that uh, were there. They were talented. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I talked myself into a corner, so we're just going to get out. Uh, to find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out, you can follow at ifanboy on Twitter or at ifanboycomics on Instagram. You can follow individually us folks, uh, C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on Instagram. Uh, and then Ryan Haupt on Instagram, or just Haupt, H-A-U-P-T, on Twitter. Of course, we have a YouTube page, youtube.com slash ifanboy, where you can go and look at the old video shows that we did there, and, of course, the uh, podcasts that we do, the, all the podcasts that we do go up there uh, as well. well. Including the Miracle Man show, it's on there. Yeah, there you go. That's a good, that's an excellent plug, way to, way to work in that marketing. That's why I don't work in marketing. <laughs> uh, is it my turn? Yes. If you like the show, if you've enjoyed this, this this comic, one hour of comic book nonsense. Please consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It does really help. It helps people find the show. It helps the algorithm. It's just the best thing way you can help our show, Science Sword, of any show you listen to. And we really do appreciate that. Uh, even though that's word of mouth, people ask you what shows you're listening to and enjoying. Consider uh, talking to my fanboy. No matter what their tastes or whether they're into comic books, they'll, they'll be very confused, but they will appreciate it, and we will as well. I would tell That's my letter it, carrier guys. about the show, but whenever my letter carrier comes, my dog loses her mind. So there's no uh, not a lot of conversation to be had between me and the old letter yeah. carrier. What does the dog uh, know that we don't? You should ask crazy. the letter carrier their views on. She, the they literally just started barking right now. I'm sure people can hear that in the background. <laughs> Maybe the letters are here. <laughs> so there you go. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for Ryan for being here. Thank you for having and me. Until next week, I'm Connor. I am Ryan. I'm Josh. I got some uh, some homemade chili verde salsa I got down there I'm thinking about. Ooh, that sounds oh, yeah. tasty. We uh, watch out for bears, people. Meat. They can come out of nowhere. Oh, I'm a man, I'm pure.
<laughs> we gotta go. No time. Yes, sir. Three, yes, sir. Two. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week number. Fuck me. Three, two. <laughs> Sorry. Got me. You haven't talked to any adults in a while, have you? You're just I'm like, good. anything? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Three, two.